Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. What a difference a month makes. We go back to the month of May. England ranked 92nd in the world in Test Cricket. New Zealand, the world Test Cricket champions. I'm trying to hide a little bit of glee in my voice. Didn't get to take part in last week's podcast. We've got a lot to unpick. A 3-0 and very unexpected, I think, series of victory for England on their home soil. Lots to talk about New Zealand selections, England selections, COVID protocols, and it comes thick and fast. Another test match starting um, on Friday as England take on India as well. Lots more to talk about. Listener questions. Stay tuned to the Top Order podcast. Well, boys, I, I don't even really know where to start. This is probably one of those episodes where we've certainly reached out on our social media over the course of the last few days, got a lot of interaction from listeners um, all over the world. Um, one in particular didn't even want me on the podcast, tough luck, <laughs> I am here um, and recording uh, for the evening. But lots and lots to, to kind of talk about. And I guess it's just really topsy-turvy how quickly things can change in, in international sport. Absolutely, and and I think I would like to start personally for to help the two of you, which uh, kind of segues into saying uh, get well soon, Raj. We're uh, he's we're, we're down a man today, and he's uh, been suffering from illness this week, so we're hoping uh, we can get you back on the pod pretty soon. But um, yeah, I'm really hoping the two of you can kind of help me unpack the series because I don't know, like you say, it was an unexpected three nil scoreline, and I'm really really conflicted when I think about this series. Part of me thinks New Zealand could have easily won this series three nil. If when I if I want to be really really you know you want to take the positives from it yeah, yeah. if I want to be you know glass half full I can look at this and go first test Colin de Grandholm doesn't overstep in that Stokes dismissal New England's in big trouble we probably win that test thinking about it now in hindsight Joe Root and Ben Folks probably put on a massive partnership and win the game anyway but second test. We take some catches. Also, Jameson doesn't get injured. I think we're a pretty good chance at winning that test. Third test, England would have been 63 for seven in that first innings if, if New Zealand had reviewed the Jamie Overton LBW. They didn't. Overton then goes on, scores 90-odd. And, you know, we saw what happened, England. I mean, actually, again, in uh, hindsight, England probably could have chased down 800 in that final innings. They were just, by the end of that series, it seemed like New Zealand was so broken and England was so cock-a-hoop that they could just do anything. So, I don't know. I mean, I just don't understand whether I should feel completely devastated by the fact that we've been pant- realistically pantsed, I think, in all three tests. They were, they like I said, New Zealand had chances to win all of them. But by the end of them, England won those three tests pretty comfortably and, yeah, the last game in the most comfortable fashion, smashing our bowlers all around the park, scoring 300 in under 60 overs twice in a row. Yeah, I don't know. Help me out here, guys. Am I like, Is New Zealand now in the doldrums or is this just, I don't know, a blip? What is going on here? There's a bit of both. I think there's a bit of both. England have played some really, really good cricket and we'll get on to England and, and how well they've played. But New Zealand have combined an uncharacteristic, un-New Zealand-like performance with some maybe challenges at the selection table and have come up short against the team that we thought were on the rise a little bit and were going to improve from their previous performances in the West Indies. There are some things that we need to unpack with this New Zealand team, particularly the catching, which for me has been the biggest plus point for New Zealand over the last 10 years. Historically, Mm. they have been the best slips catching team in the world 
90% plus for the last 10, maybe even 20 years, it has gone horribly, horribly awry for New Zealand in this series as far as slips catching is concerned. I'm sure we'll touch on Daryl Mitchell's batting, but if we can get it out of the way now, his performance at first slip let New Zealand down a little bit in this series. I think even in that third test, I was watching you know the extended highlights on Spark Sport, there were three or four instances of either ball between keeper and first slip or ball down at first slip that were really costly for New Zealand in this test. So that's the first thing that they need to sort out is their slips cordon, and they can do that pretty easily but then we've got to get on to some of their selections and you've got a ball in your hand, Adam. I'm going to take the reins here. Spin was a problem for New Zealand in this series and their selection of spin was a big problem for me. It, it had me apoplectic with rage throughout the entire series and that's not to say anything against Michael Bracewell, who had a reasonable debut series for, for an off-spinner, for a part-time off-spinner. But we have a look at what happened on the other side of the coin with Jack Leach in this series and his maiden 10 for it being a telling factor for England. And I think New Zealand really left themselves short in the selection table. What do you think, Stu? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, you know, I think we talked about listener questions. We've had a lot a lot of questions focused on selection. And, um, you know, I think we had we had Glenn on Facebook saying, how do, the Black, how do the Black Caps fans get it across to the New Zealand hierarchy that Patel just has to play every single game? We had Jason Ray on Twitter saying, how do we get the selection so wrong? Mark Ellison, friend of the show, saying, you know, how has Ajaz just bowled two overs in Test match cricket since he's been since taking his ten for? And that's the thing that has triggered me in the last couple of weeks is that he got a ten for a ten for against India of all teams, the probably the best team in the world at playing spin, and he got all ten of the buggers. He got fourteen <laughs> in a row, and since he has bowled two overs in three Test matches, and they've got, and they've discarded him. It, it it makes me apoplectic with rage to. And I have nothing against Michael Bracewell. I have nothing against the New Zealand selectors. But how is it possible to take Tenfa and then get two overs in the next match and then get dropped? It 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 is unfathomable that that could happen in a Test match. It is unbelievable. And if New Zealand want to point to that as the deciding factor in them losing the Test series, then it's their own fault. It's their own fault. And for, for listeners who can't see Baldy at the moment, his head is, uh, his, his whole face has gone red and uh, it's it's a good thing his, his head has not exploded, to be, to be quite honest. But yeah, look, I I don't know. I think the, um, I think in terms of Ajaz only bowling two overs, I think in the home summer, we could certainly see why that happened. The two Bangladesh series at home, Ajaz hasn't played a f- factor in New Zealand's home summer for, you know, for his whole career. I'm, you know, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he still hasn't got a test wicket at home. I don't think he's had many opportunities to bowl at home, to be fair. But, yeah, I don't think he's got a test wicket at home. So I could, that, I can understand that. The South Africa series of that, he was injured. He had a calf injury. He was coming back from injury. So really we're just talking about this series. First test, I think we discussed it. We talked about how uh, it didn't really make any sense the way they used him. And I think we, you see on the flip side of how Jack Leach and Parkinson were used in both of um, when yeah both of those two players were used by Stokes and um, it, it, it completely opposite to way New Zealand used Ajaz not necessarily the way they used Bracewell because by the time he came in it seemed like there was a bit of a different approach. The third test is the one that really just drives me crazy. I don't I just that you I can justify pretty much every other selection in this series. I can understand. Why they did it, I cannot see all the logic. Raj's head has just exploded that you've you've allowed Neil Wagner to be dropped and you think that's okay. But we'll move past that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, no, I mean, I think I said at the start of the series I would have picked Wagner, you know, 
I probably would have picked him ahead of Jameson, to be honest, in that first in the first test, and that might have proved wrong. But anyway, moving back to the spin, I don't understand why you could look at that lineup and go Michael Bracewell in a position where he's not he's not played as a frontline Red Bull spinner for Wellington ever ever. Okay. And that's not his fault. That's not his fault. It's not Michael Bracewell's fault that he got carted for seven and over by a batting side that probably would have carted just about any spinner in world cricket in that particular scenario. But New Zealand didn't give themselves the best chance of winning the game by picking the best four bowlers that they had at their disposal. That's the thing that really sticks in my craw and makes me completely irate. Because New Zealand, the the, the people that defend the five-seamer policy in New Zealand go, well, spinners can't win us the game. You know, there's no point in picking a spinner because our best five bowlers are seam bowlers. In that particular instance, their best four bowlers were the three bowlers they played and Ajaz, and they didn't pick Ajaz, and they got smoked. And so you you have to pick the best bowlers if you're only going to pick four bowlers. You have to. You can't go, well, we need a batter at eight if you've only got three seamers. You just can't win a test match that way. And we know that you can chase it headingly. Everybody knows this. So there is really no excuse for And I, I, I don't mean to... Like go off at the New Zealand selectors. I've never <laughs> done that before, but it just it just makes me irate that you would pick a part time spinner that is not setting either him or the team up for success, and that's and that's not Bracewell's fault either. And the one thing I will add on um, on New Zealand selection and, and the bowling attack, I do think that the injury to Colin de Gronholm kind of threw them out. I think that he was actually as much as a year ago we were thinking maybe his career is over. The fact that he plays that seam bowling all rounder, and he actually genuinely is a bowling bowling option, whereas Mitchell's not. Mitchell's not, and that that kind of threw them. And yeah, that's why I could understand it in the second test, well, the way they went. I didn't understand it in the third because yeah, if you're going to have four bowlers, then you need to pick four front line bowlers. But Binksy, I want to throw to you because I want to talk about how Leach was used, and in particular, and not you know Parkinson as well, but Leach yeah. in particular, he. He bowled. He opened the bowling in some of those games. He was clearly bowling in situations where he was used as an attacking weapon. It wasn't, you know, Jack Leach, can you come on and bowl 10 overs of holding spin for us while we attack from the other end? It was Jack Leach, we think you can take wickets for us now in really key moments. And, I mean, they, they attacked him, New Zealand, but in that third test it paid off, and I think that he'll get a huge amount of confidence out of what he did. Yeah, look, dead say will, and we'll talk a lot about mindset and baseball and all these kind of phrases that have come out in the aftermath of this series. I, I think I'll probably just pick up on a couple of things. It, it, there was a, a situation, if you go back six weeks before Brendan McCullum's appointed, where England don't play Jack Leach in any of these three games and they go in with an all-seam attack in England. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know from uh, uh, you know a point of serendipity where that all changed and where that s- sliding doors moment might have really changed for Jack Leach. But I think that the key thing for me is, and you've alluded to, is the use of Leach by his captain. Stokes um, has seemed to trust him, has um, thrown him the ball, even the new ball, I think, in that second innings. Um, I remember we did that with Graham Swan five, six, maybe eight years ago, and the commentators pilloried the captain for doing that in English conditions. Why would you not have Broad and Anderson with the with the new rock? So you know, it, it's strange how everybody's got on this a little bit of a bandwagon about everything that McCullum and Stokes turn uh, touch turns to gold. The biggest thing, and I don't think you mentioned it in either of your diatribes, it, it's pretty simple, the reason they pretty bra- brace well. They can't trust the top order. Um, so they, they wanted that option at eight. I do think as well, we are... 
always in this situation where a player that doesn't play in a series that you lose his stock rises mm-hmm. whilst others fall or pl- plummet um, in certain uh, certain situations and that definitely uh, happened with Wagner uh, and and look that's that's definitely definitely happened I think with Ajax as well because as much as he is clearly a better spin option Dan Bracewell as a, as a frontline spinner. I still think the likes of Johnny Bairstow, Ben Stokes, uh, Joe Root would have run after him. Um, and certainly in the first and second test where those were very, very good cricket wickets. And um, I, I would have seen a situation where Johnny Bairstow's innings in that second game wouldn't have been much different um, if the step and fetch it had been Ajaz for, for that particular test match. And, and maybe not, but New Zealand didn't give themselves, yeah. themselves a chance. And and that's the re- that's the real issue that I've got, is they didn't set either him or the team up for success. And you're right, Besto and Root and, and Stokes and Folks and everyone, they were so good, it probably wouldn't have mattered. But in my mind, they would have walked past a couple because Leach turned the ball. That was what impressed mm-hmm. me, is that Leach actually got the ball to bounce and turn past the bat, past the wicketkeeper. And a bit of drift as well. Yep. Um, and, and Ajax has all of those yeah. things in his arsenal. And not to say that Michael Bracehall doesn't or can't, but he do, he was overawed by some pretty aggressive batting. Well, look, I guess we've got 19 listener questions to get to and we've spent the first 77 minutes talking about spin. So should we move on slightly from that one debate? Well, well, yeah, I mean, I think you you mentioned the New Zealand top order and I do want to get to that, but I I think we should, uh, you know, we kind of had this bloodletting New Zealand part section. I I think we have to praise England here and, you know, I... I, um, I, I'm keen to get your thoughts on baseball because I know that you have, you know, maybe a bit of a zag to the popular opinion here. But I don't know. I mean, where do you want to start? Because, uh, you know, you uh, at the start of this, when we did our series preview, you did say 3 0. I'll give you that credit. But I'm pretty sure you were saying it that uh, New Zealand was going to win 3 0. I know that you often do that to try and, uh, you know, Play down England's uh, k- chances. Kidology, I yeah, think. Yeah, it's worked a treat in this particular yeah. instance. But but you must be absolutely stoked with how things have changed in a month, like you just said. Look, I, I absolutely am, and I think I, I am beaming that we've won three tests on the bounce, having not won a or won one test match in eighteen or something prior to this. I do think we've just got to calm the farm down in terms of this baseball. Number one, someone asked. Brendan McCullum what Baz Ball was and he didn't know so it's not not something that he's invented it's something that uh, I think the media have kind of jumped on and, and I think that this you know talk of a revolution needs to just calm down we've won three crazy test matches based on some absolutely career potentially career defining performances for some of these players in a series where New Zealand have had some issues with COVID, they've had a skipper who's woefully out of form. They've had Conway, who was, you know, the great hope, who's had a poor series with the bat. And you've selected the wrong bowling attack in all three games, realistically. And potentially there is a little bit of a waning of that stellar attack as well. So I think from an England perspective, absolutely. And I'm, I'm sure the players have said this, let's enjoy the series victory. I don't know how much they would have got to do given they mm-hmm. finished a test match on a Monday. They've got another one starting on a, a Friday against India to complete that series from last summer. So um, they might not have got out for the same amount of kebabs as after that. I second, was going to say, they will second, probably get a victory kebab and se- second test, uh, second test kebabs. But look, I think we England have got to be realistic. We are still probably going to get 
a little bit worse before we can really start to build um, any kind of momentum. We're still down towards the bottom of the World Test Championship, uh, notwithstanding the fact we keep getting overrate fines um, as well. We've still got concerns at the top of the order. I thought Lees was promising, um, but without really going on for a, a series defining knock, he looked good and he looked positive. Crawley's still a worry. And um, and as well as Jack Leach actually bowled, if we kind of look at it, he didn't bowl obviously in that first test because he, you know, knocked himself out. And then he's taken 13 wickets in the series, 10 of them in one game. So whilst he did, a, you know, an admirable holding role in that second test, I think Root could have probably done a similar job if, the, if they'd have needed him to in that. So there's still some question marks um, around some of that England, you know, England team. So as much as I'm happy, I don't want to get super carried away with this, with this basball revolution. I'm sorry, but if you can't get carried away by what's just happened from the past, you know, from the past 12 months, I think you need to find a new sport. So we're we going to encourage this out of you. You've got to get positive here because... I'm super positive. Like, this this I, has been an unreal series, I think, from England and from some of those players that have that The have run rate, really 4.5-something well. average run rate across the... it was just getting quicker. And it was getting quicker. Like, d- mate, I am absolutely pumped. I watched every run chase and was just like... Normally, when I'm watching an England run t- chase, I'm like, I'm just waiting for the claps. And th- these three run chases, to be honest, even the first one, I was like, we're going to piss this. Mm. The second one, I was like, this is easy. Third one, I was like, oh, come on, can you not set us some more? Like, <laughs> it, honestly, it, it looked like a foregone conclusion the way that we chased those runs down in, in, in all of those in all of those games. So, look, I am absolutely stoked. But we're playing India. We're playing South Africa after that. Mm. Um, we're, we're coming um, to New Zealand, which is going to be pretty cool. We've got a tour of Pakistan in the winter as well. Um, so, you, you know, you'd think they're going to need to find some seamers because I wouldn't have thought Broad and Anderson are going to go on a tour to, uh, if they're playing anything like the wickets that Australia played on in Pakistan, <laughs> I would not want to be a seamer over there. I don't think I would want to be a bowler over there. Um, so, look, really, really happy, but... I just want to temper and, and, you know, in modern cricketing cliche, it's now about the next game and, and let's see um, let, let's see how we go. If we beat India, look, I, I might have a cocktail. <laughs> oh, look, there's lots to get excited about, isn't there? I mean, that's, that's the thing. We can't get too over the top with our excitement, but we do need to recognise the fact that New Zealand have, oh, sorry, England have chased down three of their top 12 all-time test cricket chasers in the last month. Yeah, Three of the top so, 12. That's why I'd be so pumped. And they've done it in a canter, and they've done it at a run of ball. They've made 300, near as makes no difference, to 300 back-to-back test matches inside 55, 60 overs. In fact, they made it in less than 50 in the second test. So that's the thing that's that's really worth celebrating. Whether or not they'll be able to do it in all conditions and whether or not they're, they're going to eventually fail trying – that's going to happen, and the press are going to jump on their back when that happens. And, and they, we have to accept that that's going to be and part they will and parcel. Fail try, try and, and, and Stokes has said that. He said, if we don't fail trying, we've not tried hard enough. Exactly. So yeah. they've got to figure out where their limit is, and I think yeah. Owen Morgan might have said something to that effect. Or, you know, you've got to figure out how hard you can go now in a test match, and England is starting to redefine that. We are starting to see that becoming a redefinition of what you can do in test cricket. For example, Joe Root probably, if not the most classical batsman in the world, but in the top three, 
was tired of being bowled to outside off stump and decided he was going to ramp someone. Unbelievable. That doesn't happen 12 months ago. It's happening now and it is starting to redefine what is possible in test cricket, which is the best thing to come out of the series. One quick moment as well. We talked a little bit about the slip catching in New Zealand, um, probably having a a poor series in that respect. I thought England slip catching was pretty good. And I I do want to actually credit a lot of that to Ben Folks. I think um, the way he set the slips up, the way he gave confidence to that cordon, the way he kept in this series, um, I think for me showed that, you know, he has now got to play um, an extended period because he showed some grit um, and class with the bat as well, particularly in that second test match. I know he only got probably a dozen or so, but the intent that he came out with and batted was something I'd not seen from him before. So, yeah, big big shout out as a purist wicketkeeper myself to um, yeah to, to kind of really say I, I think he had an impact on the way that England fielded in this um, in this series. Can we just stay on the um, mindset stuff for for a second? Because I'm really fascinated by it, and we had a, a comment by Blaine on Facebook. Basically saying it'd be interesting to get a sports psych's take on England's turnaround. And we do have a, a sports psych friend, friend, of, the show, friend yeah. of the show, Jamie Barker. So hopefully we maybe get him on sometime during the England India or India series or South Africa series or something like that. But I guess just from my point of view, that was the amazing thing. I, I It stuns me that McCullum, what, we talked about it before, the series, he was there for, what, a week? Three days? Four, five days before that test series starts? Not long, anyway. And... It was instant. It was instant, and not necessarily in terms of the, um, you know, the actual performance. I think that build built during the series, but the way they approached the game, and that doesn't all fall on McCullum. I think out of all of this baseball stuff, probably Stokes hasn't been given enough credit in that he was, you know, he, a huge factor in that, and he's the one making those decisions on the field to bowl Leach, opening the bowling when Will Young gets out to Leach in the first yeah. innings and all that and, kind of and stuff. And the way Stokes batted as well, you know, it, it looked almost frenetic, but it was actually what he was doing by dancing down the wicket or stepping outside off stump or doing some of that f- funky stuff was to say, I'm going to show you that, you know, I don't mind if you do something that looks stupid and get out. It's the intent that you that you create. Um, it, look, it's going to be fascinating. I'd love to speak to Jamie about it to, to really kind of get into that. How has that been? Essentially, the same group of players that have been abjectly rubbish. Um, and, and look, Johnny Bairstow made a really, really good point. I, I, yeah, I, I guess I get a bit of criticism off my wife for this. I'm emotional at things I shouldn't be emotional about, like Shane Warne dying, you know, cried for two days. And it was the same when I saw Johnny Bairstow after that second test. And, and he said, hold on a sec, guys. We've got a bit of euphoria here around this win. Let's not forget what's come before and made a point of shouting out the previous regime of, of Silverwood and Root and how hard they'd done it in those bubbles and how it had affected them and their families and, and their livelihood and all of that kind of stuff. And he said, just hold on a sec. Let's not um, lump all of this um, this praise and revolution chat onto some people that, yes, have made an impact very, very quickly but you, you need to understand the narrative uh, prior to that as well. So um, that got me it really choked up as, as I listened to him sort of talk about that. So I, th- that's probably the main reason I'm tempering my excitement is I, I, I do think it's a little bit almost disrespectful of an England great in Joe Roos um, that, that all of a sudden it's kind of like what he did doesn't matter um, when he carried that side on his back for nearly five years and two years of that um, averaging more as a skipper 
Danny did as a player, which um, Bordy will tell me the stats almost well, he averaged never, 100 in the series. never happens, right? Yeah, almost, almost never. I mean, he's averaged 100 in this series. You know, he's been no slouch in this series. 396 runs, highest run scorer for England at 99, 176 as top score, 200s again, and another 50. So he's been tremendous, Joe Root, in this series. And I think he's been unshackled almost as a, as a skipper. He looks like he has the love of the game back. He looks like he's really enjoying his cricket and isn't, mired in all of the extra off-field stuff. And I think what is working for England right now is the extra personalities they've got are able to absorb all of that pressure because it's water off a duck's back for Brendan McCullum to a certain extent, right? He he has that persona that he's he's a punter. He doesn't mind taking a gamble and he'll just deal with the consequences. So I think that's going to be good for the England yeah. team in that they can – have that really simple mindset, really clear mentality. They know what their role is. They know what they're going to do, and they're not burdened by that, but they're empowered by that, which is huge from a leadership point of view. As you say, though, not to denigrate or disrespect anything that Joe Root or Chris Silverwood or the previous regime has done in the past to get England to the point where they can actually do that with some confidence. Let's stay on England here and keep the praise flowing Bearstow, I mean, I don't know. I was going to throw to Binksy, but Bully, you, I think you love him He's even got a love affair with him. more than uh, more than Binksy does. Uh, you know what? I think there's Bearstow and there's I think Bearstow and Pope are the two that stand out to me the most. I know you mentioned Root, and I think he got Player of the Series, didn't he, in the end? Mm-hmm. But you know, we sort of known Joe Root is unbelievable, and he's been unbelievable for a long time. Pope and Bearstow before the start of the series. I mean, Binksy, you might have even been saying, I, I, "We want Harry Brooken here. We, we sort of need a." There was a chance that he would have played a little yeah. bit. I guess the same as Daryl Mitchell, really. If yep. Nichols had not been uh, with COVID in that first game, Mitchell wouldn't have had the series he's had because he wouldn't have played that first game, would he? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I th- you said career defining. It, potentially, it is for for both of these two. I mean, they've certainly bought themselves more time. I mean. I don't know. You guys jump in and, and pick up on whatever you want from from those two guys. Oh, I'm buying all Johnny Bairstow stock. I've been I've been alone on Johnny Bairstow Island for quite a while now, so it's nice to have some company. It's nice to have the ferries running again and a few people coming into to Johnny Bairstow <laughs> Island. Look, I just love him as a cricketer because he's a redheaded dude with a beard and just smashes it. I mean, he's the modern day Alan Border, but can hit all the shots and hits them more powerfully, and he's right handed. But he wasn't smashing it, I don't think, in Test cricket and or that no, much not until the series. Not not until this. Well, and he he did do did do okay in the. West Indies yeah. prior to prior to this oh, series I mean, as well. Got hundred yeah. in the West Indies. Yeah. The way um, he batted. Yeah, the the way he batted uh, in the Ashes as well. Um, Made a hundred in the Ashes. I yeah, think. and and look, got some grief from a punter, didn't he? Um, who called him fat as he was walking off the concourse, and Bairstow just turned around and said, "Oh yeah, come back and talk to me then." And the guy just obviously scuttled off, and he, he called him weak. And you know, you know, he's he's a guy that really wears his heart on his sleeve, and I think that's what endears. I love him. That's what endears him to the public and. Man, I mean, watching him bat, particularly that passage of play where he took on the short ball Mm -hmm. and I think Stokes, he said, came down to him and said, don't you dare hit the ball on the ground. Just keep hitting it into the stand. And like you're getting that kind of message from your skipper. How good is that? That's oh, fantastic. That, that passage of pain made me feel physically sick. So, the quicker we move on from that, the better. But no, but but what it what it highlighted for me was the lack of Neil Wagner and how you you can't do short ball bowling at eighty percent. It has to be done really, really well at a hundred percent and with a hundred percent effectiveness. Or in this day and age, you are going to disappear. 12, 15 rows back. And it doesn't matter who you are as a batter. Most of these test batters now are well-equipped enough to deal with that short ball and can and can do that to a bowler if you don't execute the short ball strategy 
perfectly, which is the value of Neil Wagner. I guess we do have to talk about New Zealand's batting lineup. I know, Banksy, you've got some questions that you want to throw at me, but I think we also had some some listener questions. But why don't you go first, Banksy, and see if we cover some of the things that the listeners uh, had asked. Yeah, I, look, I guess the key thing for me, and I, I challenged you guys on this, I think, in the preview show around um, around Will Young. And I, I, I think, look, we've often heard this, and we've heard it from England, and we've heard it from New Zealand. You'd rather give a guy one test too many than one test too few. Um, but I think when you actually look at, from from a look, I'm not a neutral in terms of um, this series, but I, I think I am to an extent in terms of talking about the New Zealand cricket side relatively objectively. You, you've got a situation now where you're trying to play that extra option of Bracewell to cover the fact that you do you obviously have some concerns around your top seven, and I think those concerns concerns around the top seven probably weren't really Will Young at the start of the the, the series. But they, they, were, they were five and six. They were Mitchell and Blundell. They were, they were, you know, the firm of Solicitors, Blund, Blundell and Mitchell. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think the thing is now that you've got this problem at the, the top of the order, that the captaincy is going to come into question. I, I love Kane. I, I think he's been... I, I've talked about how how can you be captain of an international side for that long and it not have got to you from a mental perspective or affected your form too much? I don't think it's effect- that's the thing that's affected his form. I think it's potentially a combination of his elbow and a bunch of other things. But all of a sudden, you've got a guy that burst onto the test scene in De- uh, Devon Conway who's had a quiet three matches. So if we're going to get really revved up that England have had a great three matches, we have to look at it from a negative perspective in the same way from New Zealand and say, is this a long enough sound Ample size for you to have those levels of of concern, and for me, I think you definitely have with 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 young. Um, does Conway move to the top of the order? Does that allow you to get your more balanced bowling attack? And then um, Blundell and, and Mitchell have obviously got some some credits in the in the bank as well. Um, I, I don't know. I, I want to ask this question of you. I heard a comment. I can't remember who it was from. One of the BBC TMS commentators who said Henry Nichols, and this is a quote, so it's a little bit of of, of hyperbole. Was he's the worst player of spin in the world? His stats um, aren't good. Yeah. So uh, again, real question around that that batting lineup so it, it'd be interesting to see where you actually think you're you're at so we just run through the stats there for the listeners just in case they haven't got the stats for this series so devon conway was the best performed of the new zealand batters i guess 100 151 runs at 25 will young 133 at 22 tom latham 121 at 20 and then it goes down to kane 96 runs at 24 and then I'm just trying to find then it's, Nichols. Then it's Mitchell and, and then, oh, Nichols well, Nichols, bad, Nichols, yeah. Nichols, fifty nine runs at fourteen. So of those top four five, none of them averaged thirty in the series, and none of them made more than Devon Conway's one hundred and fifty one runs across the series. So that that is a real pointer to why the series result is three nil. Is if none of your top five, and I'm not including Daryl Mitchell, but if none of your normal regular top five can get you past the average of 30, you don't expect to win win games of Test cricket. So that's what's going to have to turn around for New Zealand moving forward. Does it require a personnel change or is it a case of same people, better cricket going forward for New Zealand? I don't know. Yeah, so we had, I mean, we had a few questions on, on Twitter and Facebook about this. We had Rob 
Franks, who made the point, Binksy, about sample size, you know, thoughts on changes New Zealand te- need to make going forward because they've lost six of their last eight tests now. This, it's not just this three-match yeah. series. You can lose 17 and then it all comes <laughs> right. So you're, you're all right. <laughs> but, yeah, we had the home summer. We had uh, – and then we had the India series as well. So, yeah, it hasn't, it hasn't been a great sort of 12 months since the World Test Championship – we had Jimmy on Facebook, and, and there's actually been a number of people throughout the the series kind of asking why Conway is not opening and Young's down at four. You know, those those players. We, t- we did touch a little bit on that, me and Baldy, in the last time we recorded. And, look, Stephen Rowe, again, has been the whole series kind of pointing out Latham's numbers against uh, the, the, you know, better bowling attacks, if you want to call them that, in, um, in, in world cricket. And I, I, I do have some some stats on that. So, yeah, I mean, look, why don't I start on, on Latham? I know, I know there's been all that criticism on the series when he left the ball against Jimmy and got pulled on middle stump. That was kind of like the horror moment. That it's, oh, it was beautiful. It summed up kind of everything that had been going wrong for, for the top order for New Zealand, just poor judgment, poor, you know, just not, not confidence. And you, you contrast that with the way that England were going about it and the positivity that they showed. New Zealand weren't doing that with their top order at all, and uh, you know probably a lot of that stems from the fact that they they weren't feeling like they were in, they were confident and all that kind of stuff. So, look, the Latham question is is really interesting because he's been you guys mentioned captaincy. He's been talked about as you know the natural leader for or to person to take over from Kane. Personally, I don't think so. I don't especially think Latham is. I think actually he's more passive than Kane as a captain. As a, again, it's quite a small sample size, but Latham doesn't strike me as uh, particularly as a leader apart from being a senior player and as well-respected and all those kind of things. He doesn't yeah, give me that impression. But on his batting, I mean, yes, like I said, Stephen's been banging on about this for the whole series, and, and, he's, and he, you look at the numbers and it's right. His overall average is 40. Against Australia, it's 26. England, 31. India 32, South Africa 9, Pakistan 31. West Indies it's 43, Sri Lanka 77, Zimbabwe 84, Bangladesh 91. Those stats, you know, he's played quite a lot of tests now. Those stats actually do tell a little tale. He's not the he's not the only opening batter in world cricket that has struggled against some of those attacks though to be fair. Like you will look at some great great opening batters that have averaged 60 against mediocre bowling attacks and have averaged 35 or less against the really, really good ones. That's not unusual. The challenge that New Zealand are going to have, and it's one of the questions from our listeners here, is how are New Zealand going to change moving forward and how are they going to rebuild for this World Test Championship cycle? The, the, these guys, these guys that they've got in the top order, they are it just about. I, are I they, don't are think they so not? necessarily. No? I, I think there are, there are more candidates... I actually think from a, you know, should we revamp the whole thing? What's challenging about New Zealand, when you're trying to look at New Zealand in that way, for for Test cricket in particular, is that we don't play enough games. Like, England's going straight from this series into an India series, then they've got a series against um, South Africa. New Zealand doesn't play Test cricket again until December, January, when we go to Pakistan for two tests, which is right in the middle of... Uh, normally our, or in the middle of our home summer, where we're disrupting that, it's right after a T20 World Cup and in between an ODI World Cup. Test cricket is not going to be the, the priority on everyone's radar at that point. Then after that, we go into two tests against England at the end of our summer and two tests against Sri Lanka. And, and that's kind of it. You know, I, it's really, really hard when you're trying to think, okay, well, what are we going to do going forward? Because... 
in six months' time, we have no idea how how these guys are going to be hitting the ball and, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I do think uh, when they look at that, uh, that series against Pakistan in particular, the Nichols thing that you just mentioned is actually, it's going to have to be a serious conversation because his spin stats, like I just said, they're really bad. And, and I actually thought when he first came into test cricket, he played spin reasonably well. He likes to sweep the ball and it seemed, but it, it just feels like his confidence now against spin is shot. He keeps hitting it back to bowlers. And I don't know, just very, very much reading the ball wrong. Yeah, it's it's not going well for him, and I think they, I mean the fact that Mitchell has done so well, they're going to have to think about what they do there. If you look at that whole lineup, they had seven batters in that last test. That's not the there's no way you can tell me that that's the ideal lineup for New Zealand in, in terms of test cricket. So one of those guys is going to have to go unless Daryl Mitchell is classed as your opener. Well, and especially when you've got... All-rounder, sorry. And, and especially for me as well, where you've got three guys, I'm including Conway in this, that, that could keep wicket as well. So you, you've got three options. I don't think he's a test keeper. But anyway. I know he's not, but you've got Latham, you've got Blundell, you've got... So you've got actually three guys that could actually balance that side. Um, so why are you not then just picking your best six batters, your best keeping keeper batter option, and then absolutely having that right four-man uh, four attack as Baldy... Um, went on for about 17 minutes at the start of the show. <laughs> I've calmed down now. It's okay. And and look, the, the young Conway thing, I, t- I talked about it a little bit last time. I I, st- I still remain on Will Young Island. I think that he has potential to be an international cricketer. I don't understand the, uh, you know, it's flipping him to four with Conway. That that to me just makes no sense because when you look at this lineup. Conway, who are the most important players when you look at this lineup? They're Kane Williamson and De- Devin Conway. They it was Tom Latham as well was one of those. But if if New Zealand is going to be incredibly successful at Test cricket, I think Kane Williamson and Devon Conway need to be the cogs that make that wheel go round. And they just why would you put Conway, who has batted three and four his whole career anyway? I know he went up to England or to the top of the order and did reasonably well. Did he get a double hundred opening the batting on he, debut? He did, yeah, which okay. is reasonable debut and reasonable uh, okay. to yeah. say you Standing. can you can go up and and open, but. Like Will Young also went up to open at the start, or has been an opener, but he has actually been doing it for two or three years. I, I I don't understand that chat of part of it. I can understand you saying Will Young is not going very well and he needs to be dropped. I, I think there I think there is a little bit of reasoning behind it in that the way in which Will Young is being dismissed is he is being dismissed by a swinging ball where he is un, he is unable at the moment to leave that ball that is on four and a half stumps because he feels like he has to play it. And if he's getting a little bit of movement in those first 12, 15 overs of the innings away from him as an opening batter, he is finding that he is nicking that ball to the keeper into first slip. And that's been his real bugbear, his real problem. The theory behind moving him to four, and I'm not saying I agree with it, but the theory behind it is, okay, if he's coming in at four with any luck, he's not coming in at two for 10, but he's coming in at two for 70, and that's after 25 overs and the ball's not swinging as much because we're not doing using a Duke's ball here in New Zealand. So therefore, it's a little bit more straight up and down. And if he's getting a ball on fifth stump channel, he's able to play inside the line or let it go with a little bit more confidence. That's the thing that is hurting.
hurting him at the moment is he is he's being dismissed in a pretty classic way outside off stump to balls that he really should be. And I, I, I can't talk. I'm not an opening batter in <laughs> test cricket, so I can't really talk. But the criticism of him is is that he needs to exercise better judgment outside off stump and maybe batting him at four or five in the order might give him an opportunity to, yeah. to bat on flatter wickets with the ball doing a little bit less. Yeah, and I'll contradict myself a little bit here. I think that the danger of moving Conway to the top of the order is his ceiling is probably 45 to 48 as an average. Will Young's is probably 35. So would you rather have your opener averaging 35 and give Conway a chance to probably average closer to 50 batting at uh, four? Um, Or you are sacrificing, I think, five runs, maybe 10 runs um, in this modern era when you're playing against South Africa, when you're playing against India, when you're playing against England, who've got those seam attacks that are going to find you out. And and I want to zag on the Will Young a little bit here in that, uh, yes, he nicked out a few times, but actually I think if you looked through his test career, the amount of starts he has is actually the more worrying thing for me. And that's why I don't actually think putting him to four makes any difference at all to that. Because he's in the in this test, he got a, he got twenty odd. He got two fifties in the second test, or forty eight and fifty, and he got out right at the time when he had a moment to go. Okay, I can play a meaningful innings right now, and that's when he was getting out. So I, I can, I like I said, I completely understand if you picked that side again tomorrow. Really, you're you're debating whether Will Young and Henry Nichols, one of them is not in that lineup. You you're. I know Latham has had his struggles, but I, he's got enough money in the bank for me that he's playing in that next test. Conway's playing, Williamson's playing, Blundell's playing, Mitchell's playing. So there's five of your top six, and one of them is young, and one one of them is young, or one of them is Nichols. Or, I mean, Paul, you asked for a few names about you know other players that we have. Rutchen. R- yeah, there is there is depth out there. Rutchen hasn't done it at test level. But he's out there. There's Glenn Phillips, who's another player that could come in and play in the middle order. You know, there's there's Hamish Rutherford, who's been around the scene and been in these squads, but hasn't actually had a chance to get back at, at uh, you know at international level, even though he's been there. There's Robbie O'Donnell, who had a really good season. There's Tom Bruce, who people were clamouring for to, to get on this tour. I think there's enough depth in New Zealand cricket. I don't think that's really the worry. It's It's about piecing it together. And if you looked at this... If you looked at New Zealand when we were going really, really well, Conway and Williamson were scoring bulk runs and they didn't do it in that series. And our bowlers were taking 10 wickets in the second innings and we didn't do it in that series. Well, I think that's a good segue to talk a bit about the bowling um, because I think uh, the captaincy debate might um, take the podcast over the limit that we've got (laughs) on the SD card. Um, But certainly from a bowling perspective, um, Really, only Trent Bolt stock has risen of that same attack. Um, Jameson obviously I injured. I thought he bowled brilliantly, by the way. It yeah. was so nice to well, see him with a swinging ball. Th- th- there was Ooh. some. There was some stat that the opening spell in that second game was th- the best ever opening spell in terms of um, the amount of play and misses that they f- they forced in England. Somehow managed to kind of get um, through that that spell, but. Bolt stock has gone up and there were question marks about him as well leading in. You know, had he played enough cricket? Had he got the overs in the legs? We we can put that one to bed. But um, are we seeing Saudi Wagner on the wane? And, you know, what does the makeup of that um, that test attack um, look like as we move forward? I think it's a little bit hard to judge Neil Wagner's performance in that third test because normally he is part of a four-man pace attack and not to 
denigrate the, the three-man, four-man pace attack thing again. But he's normally part of a four-man pace attack. He only played one test. He had a strike rate of 60, had, took a couple of wickets, but everyone got pumped in that test match, right? They were one, they one bowler shy. We bowled well in that first innings, and then, yeah, everyone got smashed in that, other in that than other, other than Bolt, though, I think most of the New Zealand bowlers are a push at best, right? Some of them have lost a few points, I think. Yeah, uh, Saudi bowled really well in that first test, I thought, and then, yeah. His, uh, overall, his, he's about a push, right? I think what did he have? Dra- got worse as the series went on nine, in terms of his results. Nine wickets at 50 and a strike rate of 81. So not 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 particularly brilliant. I mean, Saudi was fantastic. Uh, 16 wickets at 28. Bolt, you mean. Uh, sorry, Bolt was fantastic. 16 wickets at 28, strike rate of 45. So that's what you want from your strike bowler, right? He, is, he has been excellent. Unfortunately, Jamison was injured, which caused all sorts of ramifications for, for team balance and so forth, and Colin de Gronholm likewise. So, yes, that there were injuries to that bowling attack, but I think other than Bolt, they were fractionally, marginally below par, and they didn't have great backup from their fourth and fifth options because they were injured for most of the series. Yeah, and absolutely. And, and yeah, I mean, I just said it. That, that's been New Zealand's calling card, that we've been able to defend totals you know, bowl teams out in the fourth innings and win tests that way. And, and we just couldn't do it in that series. And look, we had a few questions around that um, from listeners as well. We had the Leading Edge Cricket Podcast who do some great work. I think you should definitely follow them on Twitter, for, particularly if you're an England fan uh, looking for stats. They pull out some unbelievable stats on, on county cricket and uh, and all the New Zealand stuff there. So shout out to, to those boys. But and, and we also had Mark on Facebook who, who asked a similar question, I guess around that, those bowlers and and I, there is going to be a time that comes soon on when the, that those bowlers are are going to disappear from New Zealand. I, I don't necessarily think it's especially imminent, but mainly because of uh, all the, the tests that New Zealand's play. As as uh, I just said, we've got two tests in Pakistan. We won't take four seamers. Well, maybe we'll take four seamers over there. If we do, they won't play all of those games. Then we've got two tests and two tests, and then it's a whole nother year, you know. So I just don't. If they want to continue, I think that there's the scope there to continue. But the question was asked really around who are the next cabs off the rank, and I think that's where this Jameson injury is actually quite a big issue, and that he he has been with a lot of hopes really are pinned on Jameson probably leading that next wave of, of New Zealand bowlers. He's had such a brilliant start to his test career. He's still reasonably young. And he's going to, when those guys go, become the senior bowler. And if this injury, it's going to take him out for a little while. We hope, obviously, that it, he comes back really, really well. But, you know, stress stress injuries in the back are not something that people get very uh, hopeful about necessarily. You've, you know, we've talked about it at length on, on England and, and what their sort of stocks are. But... Yeah, and, and you know, you look at like the likes players that have been in and around the squads. You've got Matt, uh, Matt Henry and, and Lockie Ferguson. They're thirty and thirty-one as well. Jacob Duffy is almost twenty-eight, so it, he's he's probably entering age, yeah. it, into his peak age. So he's probably someone that that looks to step in. But I think if you want uh, younger bowlers, I, I've kind of looked at um, Ben Sears actually as someone. I think I've mentioned him before as someone who I see as quite important for New Zealand's development in the long run. He's been picked for the ODI series or T20 series, some of the white ball stuff anyway that's coming up that New Zealand's got an enormous diet of over the next few months against uh, a whole host of, of teams. So he's someone who I really am going to be watching as as time goes on. There's the likes of Nathan Smith, Brett Randall, Simon Keane, who all performed really, really well at uh, first class level. So again, I think that there is the 
there there are the there's the depth there. I don't think the depth is a problem with New Zealand cricket. It's yeah, I, I don't know. My 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 cup is wavering so much between half glass half full and glass half empty. I just I don't know where to to go on all of this stuff. And quick shout out whilst we're on seamers, Matthew Potts I thought was superb for England. Um, biggest thing for me was that he kept coming back. Um, his speeds didn't drop, and that's been a criticism of some of these guys that have come in. Uh, yeah, Ollie Robinson, you know, he's gone from 135 k's to 115 k's across the course of a day. Like <laughs> genu- true, it gen- genuine, it genuinely took place. Um, yeah. So yes, yeah, so, so Potts I think a big, yeah, really, really big plus. Um, I, I still think we've got some, you know, some questions around how we manage that sort of impending uh, movement um, on of, of Broad and Broad and Anderson. But yeah, shout out to Matty Potts because we'd not, I don't think mentioned him throughout this, and I think mm, he certainly deserved good. a mention. And, and look, um, I know Binksy. Maybe we finish the show. You want to give a shout out to uh, someone who has recently retired on the on the England circles. But maybe we'll finish with, uh, unless anyone's got any more points on the series, we'll finish with a, a few of the listener questions that we we didn't get to. So uh, a couple of them. There was one from Stephen on Facebook who essentially asked how the New Zealand system let Stokes and McCullum go. That was, you know, Stephen was saying from an outsider's point of view, how do these these people get through? I actually think that's a reasonably easy question to answer in that Stokes... Uh, was about 10 years old. Yeah, yeah, Stokes was 12, I think, when he... Yeah when he left New Zealand. So I don't think New Zealand can be held to account for no. him disappearing. His dad's a rugby league player, wasn't he? A coach or... Yeah. He's a rugby league player, yeah. Yeah, yep. yep. so he went over to England, settled over there, and that's that's the end of that. Uh, yeah, I don't think we can be I don't, too upset I don't, about I don't Stokes. think you can claim Ben Stokes, to I don't be perfectly want to claim honest. Ben Stokes. Any more than you can claim Andy Caddick. For anything out there, I, I, you, you're welcome to him as... as Good a player as he is, I. Uh, the McCullum, he's done. He's, too, he's done. Too, he's hurt me in too many ways that I would want him back. The McCullum thing's interesting, though. The only the only way that New Zealand could have foreseen this is by having the fortitude to say to Gary Stead, who has been a really successful coach for New Zealand over a reasonable period of time now, Gary, we're going to leave you in charge of the Test system, but we want to bring in a new white ball coach. I think that's the only trick that New Zealand may have missed, but nobody prior to Brendan McCullum's appointment for England, was saying in any circles that I've been listening to, maybe I've been listening to the wrong circles, that we needed, uh, that New Zealand needed a new coach or a change no. in their coaching setup yeah, for I mean, Red Bull or White Bull because they've been reasonable, reasonably successful yeah, at it. I, I, I do this all the time and mainly to prove my own argument wrong, but you've actually got home nationals in, in charge of most test nations. Now, Australia, you've got... Um, Andrew McDonald, Pakistan, you've got Sack Lane, South Africa, you've got Mark Boucher at the moment, uh, West Indies, Phil Simmons, Bangladesh is the first one where you find uh, Russell Domingo, um, you've, you've then got, um, of course, Dravid for India, uh, Graham Thorpe, um, Afghanistan, although with his illness, I doubt that that will continue, Gary Stead, uh, Chris Silverwood, uh, bizarrely, um, straight to Sri Lanka uh, from his... the Aussies uh, again. Yeah, exactly. And then obviously England, Brendan McCullum. So I think you've got a plethora of quality coaching options. You've got the like of Stephen Fleming is doing a lot of work in the uh, the IPL. Daniel Vittori now is assistant coach for Australia, I believe. Yep. Yeah, he's doing some um, spin work, yeah. But at the end of the day, unless you've got two coaches, you can only have one coach. You've got a New Zealand coach. So I, I don't think you've lost McCullum. 
Um, you might have lost a bit of institutional knowledge, but would he really be doing a domestic coaching role or an academy or a pathways role within New Zealand? You couldn't pay him enough money to do it. That's the um, key factor. And he has taken a challenge. You know, he's ditched his radio show. He's ditched his Kolkata Knight Riders gig, or we think he has. He may still go and coach in the IPL. Who knows? Mm. The window is there. So I, I think it's tough to, to really lay too much blame on New Zealand um, cricket, uh, um, although I'm For sure one. it's a pretty emotive uh, emotive yeah. question yeah. Uh, selections no they they're okay on the coaching front so far yeah and look I, I think your point about the um the the attractiveness of that gig in the terms of that it's a it's not a full-time coaching gig I don't think he would have taken a full-time coaching gig and New Zealand don't appear to be uh planning on splitting those two roles up at this stage mm. maybe that will happen Gary Con- uh, Gary's contract finishes up, I believe, after the, the ODI World Cup in 2023. So we'll see what happens after that. I would not be surprised if both parties think it's probably time for a change. But, you know, watch this space. Yeah, I, I just think that McCullum, there was no role for McCullum to take in New Zealand that would have been as attractive as, mm. as that one now. So, yeah, look, I, I don't think that's... Too much to blame for New Zealand. We had one uh, from a Mr. John Baldwin who asked about uh, who asked about the you doing your homework, Michael. Yeah, who asked about the stats on uh, on home series test wins in each country and and how he believes there's probably been an uptick in in those stats that more home teams are winning now than they perhaps were 20 years ago. So, Baldy, do you want to dog ate my homework? This. I feel like I'm nine years old again. <laughs> this is horrible. I haven't done much homework. I've only done homework on the last 20 series. I omitted the word years and, and looked at series. And it's pretty even. Nine home wins, eight away wins in the last 20 series, three drawn series over the last 20 series of test match cricket being played going back the last 18 months or so. Um, most of those away wins have come in Asia. So it's three and three in Asia, home and away, which is unusual because normally you associate Asia with being um, an area where the home team dominates all the time. Uh, But it turns out, I think, uh, who lost series? Oh, Bangladesh have lost two series away out of that three uh, in in that period. So We, we did have a chat before the show just around that in terms of what what I think mate, that I would agree with John in terms of uh, that I think it probably is on the uptick, I would suggest that without having any stats to back, back, back this up. It's the best way, Lippy. I think it would be around the fact that Test cricket has actually evened up in the last 20 years. I know it's not completely even and, um, you know, it's not not yet a case of everyone can beat everyone, although Bangladesh showed that here in New Zealand. But... 20 years ago, that disparity was probably more and that if Australia went over to play in um, different conditions in the subcontinent in Sri Lanka, perhaps, or actually 20, that 20 year mark, so Sri Lanka was probably actually still pretty good with Sangakara and Murali uh, and, Vass, and Vass and all of those. But, but before, you know, so let's say five, 10 years before then, before all those players yep. started to hit, I think any of those nations going over to those places, it would have comfortably but you would have expected that they go over there and comfortably win mm. and now it's more of a challenge it's more of a question all those kind of things so I think the evening up of test cricket makes the home advantage more more important than than it is now and it means that teams will cater to their conditions because they know they have to because they're not just going to roll out 11 cricketers and walk onto any pitch in the world and win a game of cricket anymore they have to actually create environments and scenarios that are conducive to their strengths or perhaps to the opposition's weakness. So you're absolutely right. I have no stats to back that up, but I shall get some and we'll post a nice pretty picture on Twitter to back up that theory or not. 
And and last couple of questions. I think we're on the COVID protocols. Um, I, I can't actually answer. There was a question there. I think from Mark about uh, you know it would be interesting to know what protocols were in place in this tour. And, and I think that is an interesting question because it did seem to impact both sides. We're obviously in an environment where things have opened up in a lot of countries now. England is completely open. Is that right now, Binksy? So you can just go over there. There's no uh, no quarantine at all. So my guess is that there was no quarantine at all. Players could go and come and go as they wanted. Or no, you, no, no, there's protocols within the sporting environment. So okay. I think that, that there is a period of isolation. So Ben Folks, as an example, came out yesterday. Oh, they still did have yeah, to do yeah. the five days after they got it. I mean, yeah. I mean, before when they landed and oh, you yeah, know. okay, yeah, no, none of that um, sort of management around yeah bubbles and environments. I, I don't believe. Um, look, it's a really difficult one, isn't it? I mean. Uh, yeah, but Ben Folks disappearing with uh, back spasm first and then COVID. Man, Joss Butler could have come in and that game would have been over even quicker. Uh, well, we, we did have a question, I think, from, from Rando Matt on Twitter, basically saying, why didn't uh, why didn't Jameson, uh, you know, why couldn't we fake a COVID for Jameson to get a, another bowler in, uh, in that situation? But um, maybe we'll, we'll leave that controversy of whether... Folk, uh, you know whether whether folks was replaced fairly or, or not. I don't. I don't think that's uh, really needs to be talked about. No, no, neither do I. So, Binksy, what, I mean, why don't you you wrap us up with? Uh, I know you want to mention Owen Morgan. He obviously haven't featured in this series, apart from being a commentator, which I quite enjoyed when That's he was good. he was on the mic. But yeah, obviously been a huge servant to English cricket. Even though uh, I'll just jump in here to say he's Irish but you can go ahead and say the impact that he's made to, to English cricket because I think it has been incredible. Yeah look he certainly had a massive amount of impact still our leading run scorer in both T20s and ODIs wow. clearly you know defining moment of his career is going to be uh, lifting that red ball uh, sorry white ball trophy in 2019 we all know the circumstances around that but I, I think anybody would be churlish to suggest that that wasn't probably deserved by that England side over that era and um, took a team that got their asses handed to them in the 2015 World Cup and let's not forget he took the captaincy over for that disastrous campaign um, big credit goes to the powers that be at the time I think Andrew Strauss was probably in charge around then um, said no you're the man to actually take us forward and I think he's almost the pre-Basball um, you know, maybe took a little bit of inspiration from his great mate, Brendan McCullum, but um, showed the way for that team to express themselves with the likes of Jason Roy at the top of the order, Alex Hales, Josh Butler, um, playing with that level of freedom, the way he captained his spinners, um, you know, brought Adil Rashid back into international cricket and encouraged him um, to get his box of tricks out, Moen Ali as well. Um, weapons, you, mate, Mark, Mark Wood, you know, so th th there's, a, there's a massive amount of impact um, that he's had on English cricket. So look, I genuinely think he will go down as if not the best, certainly one of our best three captains in any format. Um, I said this before uh, we aired the podcast this evening. You know, he joins Martin Johnson with the Rugby World Cup in 2003, um, Bobby Moore 1966, um, and yeah, you can argue um, Paul Collingwood uh, for the 2007 T20 World Cup. But um, man, he's had such an impact on not only this one-day side, but you can almost see... Um, how some of that mentality is now um, going to make its way into this uh, test team. So, uh, look, regardless of his um, regardless of his initial nationality, um, <laughs> he, he did all the paperwork. There is nothing nefarious there. Um, and look, I think he'll go down as an England uh, white ball. Um, great. 
Well, that does just about wrap up this episode of the Top Order podcast. Um, coming in um, at 58 minutes or thereabouts, so um, you can binge a whole hour of data um, on this very, very fine um, episode. We will be back hopefully next week with more This Week in Cricket. We've and the Hall of Fame. And the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame, which will be back. We've got it prepped. We're ready to go. Um, I can tell you there's no Kiwis to be seen. Um, <laughs> and in the next episode, we've got 16 Australians. Well, that's all coming up um, on the Top Order podcast Ooh. in your feed. And hopefully we'll have uh, Raj back as well uh, next week to join us around this very esteemed table. But thanks for listening. See you soon. <laughs>